working in his plunger business. They're called fungers, baby. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And we finally watched Punch Drunk Love. I never wanted to watch this movie. Um, I still don't. When this movie came out, I didn't know who Paul Thomas Anderson was. Um, and I also didn't want to see Adam Sandler in a serious role. Do you know that the movies he did leading up to this? Go ahead. Billy Madison, Bulletproof, The Wedding Singer, The Water Boy, Big Daddy, Little Nicky, and then this. So this is like <laughs> the first Adam Sandler trying to be a serious actor. And I was not ready for it. I mean, I was also 15. So I had no desire to see this. Um, uh, my first PTA movie was in 2007 and it was There Will Be Blood. And so then after that, I was like, all right, I got to watch his movies. Um, surprisingly, it took me 14 years to get to this one still. And, and what's also crazy about this movie is this is easily his shortest one. Like his first movie, which you always expect to be short, is like an hour and 41 minutes. This is an hour 35. Most of his others are like easily over two, if not two and a half. Magnolia was three uh, right before this. And so it's just crazy, like, it's crazy this movie was made, honestly. It's crazy. It's crazier that this movie got approved. <laughs> like, made sure. But, like, actually, <laughs> people were allowed to see it. it it's, it's uh, you know, I get this movie confused a lot. There's another, I believe, Adam Sandler movie where he's serious. Um, he's a comedian? that gets cancer does this ring a bell maybe i'm wrong maybe this is an adam sandler i mean i don't know spanglish no <laughs> i actually like spanglish funny, funny people oh it is funny people i didn't so, remember him getting cancer and funny people but well, maybe he didn't get cancer but see i didn't watch funny people but I, I i think when you told me hey we're gonna watch punch drunk love i think i was thinking that this is funny people and so I'm watching this and I was like, this is not what I thought the movie was about. And then the movie kept going. I was like, this is just, this is weird ass shit I'm watching. Like I can see that this is P.T. Anderson in the sense that I guess comparing it to one of my favorite movie of his, The Master, you have these unstable, mentally unstable, semi- simple-minded main characters that kind of just fall into this weird adventure. Um, but I have some questions about this movie. I mean, deeper than just like, what the fuck, right? And so I think uh, if it's okay with you, I'm good to just get into it. Uh, yeah, I also, just to say, starting out with this movie, I was like, oh, this is really odd. There's like a lot of odd choices with it. Um, music wise, the characters are weird and hard to really understand in the first place. And then as the movie goes along, I kind of was like, I think I know where this is going. And it was one of the most satisfying endings to a movie I've ever seen. Like I've, I love the ending of this movie. Like the last 25 minutes I think are great. Um, <laughs> and, and so I unexpectedly really love this movie. 
Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Uh, the start of it is so odd with him just calling in and you don't really have any of the context. It's not explained till later, but him just calling into a healthy choice, like hotline to ask a, like, Hey, is this deal really 10 barcodes for 500 like airline miles? He's like, cause there's some weird language in here. The guy's like, no, that's the deal. And he, I love the line. of like, you do realize that the value of the prize might be more than the purchases. And the guy's just like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't like. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then obviously that pays off kind of big time in the end. Uh, but the I was so. I don't even remember. That's how the film opened because so much weird shit happens right after that. It just takes away, takes away the the poignancy of it. Um, when as this film keeps going on and on. I was trying to figure out, is he mentally handicapped? And I have to, because, okay, so when you read the, the short description that, that HBO Max gives you, it says something like, um, due to the abuse of his seven sisters, he is uh, unable and socially uh, unable to find love, uh, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, is, is he mentally handicapped? Or is he so like that victim mentality because of his sisters? Like, did did they affect him really that much for him to actually come off as mentally handicapped? So, yeah, I don't think he was mentally handicapped. I think he was, I mean, he may have some sort of, you know, on the spectrum type issues or whatever, but I, he really just seems very meek and the product of, you know, it was interesting reading that, like that kind of like set my mind. Like when they said, Oh, he was abused by his seven sisters of like, Oh, well what happened? And there is no big reveal. They're just like all really big fucking assholes to him. The entire movie, irredeemable assholes. Well, the reason Um, I ask is because it's like, there's certain points in the movie where, Obviously, he has anger issues, but is that because he's mentally handicapped, or is that because of the abuse of his sisters? No, I don't think he's mentally handicapped. Like you could, you can frame it however you want, but I never thought that. I think he is socially awkward, and I think he's been greatly affected by this. The fact that he's like, you know, I cry uncontrollably all the time. He has anxiety issues, which is either something you know you could say maybe genetic, or most likely caused by this family that he lives in. Yeah. I mean, like going a little bit into the future in the movie like as he gets to the party they're already talking shit about him he's not even there it's like all they do according to this movie and i thought it was a little like over the top as far as like presenting them as characters but i think it's fine it works but they're they're like all they do is talk shit about this guy yeah and i didn't even get i was reading somewhere that this was his birthday party but i didn't even really get that what yeah, I thought it was like one of his sisters, but then somewhere I read it said it was his, but I, I couldn't really remember back. But the, the point of it is just like... No way is this his. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> <laughs> it make it even sadder that he brought a cake and they're like, what? We already have a cake. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was like his... I thought it was Rhonda's. 
one sister whose name we know. I didn't even think it was a birthday party. I don't know, man. This was so, okay. So we get introduced to the sisters one by one kind of um, via phone call, right? He's like working in his plunger business. They're called fungers, baby. Okay. And um, incoming one of my favorite jokes in the entire film is this is pretty much indestructible. Boom. Shatter. <laughs> this must be one of the old ones. Let's get a new one in here. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Uh, but then, you know, one by one, systematically, his sisters call him at his work. And he actually seems like he's been doing pretty well for himself. Like he's a full-fledged entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, he's got this whole business. I think even before that, though, and you were talking about like, you know, you were talking about maybe some mentally mental handicap issues. When this movie opens, I was like, is this guy like see things? Like, oh, like you know what I mean? Schizophrenic? Because it starts with a car flipping out of nowhere and then a cab just pulling off and opening a door and sticking like a tiny piano uh, just on the road. And I'm just like, what is going on? So I think we should talk about that for a second. Um, uh, the car flipping that never comes back nope so did that happen do you think or did that not happen i thought it happened but i don't know it, it happened so a car flips no ambulance no police ever come well you don't know that we weren't outside that entire time i guess and then a cab drops off a tiny piano a harmonium yeah um and then this woman shows up who we don't really know, um, which she's like, hey, I need to leave my car here. I thought they opened earlier. And he's just like super awkward in this whole whole bit, which is funny because he's saying to one of his sisters comes later. And it's like, oh, I'm going to bring a friend to the party. And you eventually find out it's all the same woman this entire time. But I'm going to bring a friend to the party. And he's like, no, don't, I don't, I'll be so anxious in that situation. I, won't, I just won't act like myself. But then when you see him when there is no like setup and he still just like acts horribly, right? Like he can't, he just can't deal with people. Um, he has like really bad social anxiety and really bad like communication skills, um, especially with women, it seems. And, uh, you know, after the phone call um, to the Healthy Choice Hotline, we get like a series of sounds and colors portrayed at us. Uh Taylor had the idea that this is like a peek into his brain, like how his brain works. And then that's what led me to think that maybe he, he's not like fully like everyone else in the sense that maybe he processes things differently than, than we do. Maybe he's like, what is that synesthesia where you like see, you see colors for sounds or something like that, yeah. which is also like, as soon as uh, Luis Guzman shows up as Lance and like the music's like really kicks in. And then as more and more workers kick in, it's like all this sound is just like, that was one thing that kind of drove me crazy in the beginning of the movie, which is, I guess the point of all the sound and music that's like playing the entire time he's at the factory with all the people working there. Well, it's even when like his, you're inundated with it, when his sister comes back with her friend and starts bombarding him about like, you guys should go out. I'm sorry he's being so weird, blah, 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 right? And 
uh, why do you have so much pudding? Blah, 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 blah. And that sound comes back. I literally turned to Taylor and I was like, I don't know what he has, but by the end of this fucking film, I'm going to have it. (laughs) Well, and it's funny too is, and I think that's just supposed to represent like how crazy his mind is going with all this, how he can't deal with it. And then as soon as the sister leaves, the woman, uh, Lena, we learned her name is, comes back in just to talk to him and like the sound has stopped and everything's calm. And she's just like, Hey, I want you to take me out if you want to. And he's like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's kind of the first normal, normal point, you know, for him. And I think that's, I think that's all kind of purposeful, just like how affected he is by his sisters. Um, which is funny when you read, I, I kind of wish I hadn't read the description because I'm wondering how I would have seen everything. But when you read that, it kind of, I guess it makes it easier to follow what's going on if you have an idea that how affected he was by his sisters. But it's like pretty subtle, just like, because I imagine from his sister's perspective, they all seem to, you know, we don't see them rib each other, but I would imagine they do. They kind of seem like those almost like, I don't know, like Jersey girls. Basically, they just like talk shit all the time and don't take it very seriously. Right. Um. So I'm curious if it's just like they don't, you know, they don't know it affects him or I mean, it seems like they don't give a shit, honestly. Um, But they they seem it seems like um, not that they don't give a shit or maybe they don't, but they think his reactions to it is an overreaction to it. And then they always they double down by like, oh, he reacts a certain way when we make fun of him. So now we're going to make fun of the way he reacts to the way we make fun of him. And he better not react. He better not react weirdly to that because that would be weird. But it's it's so annoying, and I've never felt so bad for a character so quickly in a film. Yeah, well, like I said, it, you're inundated with it, like the sound, but you're also just inundated with how bitchy these sisters are. Um, the other thing too is is, and maybe I noticed it more the second time I watched it. And it's something that can escape you, but. You can kind of tell that Lena is very into him from the beginning when she's just like, all right, and maybe I'll get to see you later. And, you know, maybe when I come pick up my car, I'll go get to see you. And then when he goes to do that store run, you notice like a person in the background. She's following him. Yeah. Yeah. It's very subtle that she is as crazy as he is. <laughs> like socially awkward seemingly as him. Maybe not to the same extent, but like a little bit. Yeah. And, and also like, you can tell right away he's into her just, I think because that's why he goes and takes the piano, you know, right after she leaves, she mentioned the piano and he like goes runs and picks it up. And I think like she kind of had that effect on him. It's also just a really fucking weird thing to happen to you. Yeah. But he should have taken it from the beginning, you know, I guess. Um, is that where we are now? Well, okay, hold on. Let's let's keep talking about the the party scene. Yeah, I think I think all the sisters have showed up, and then the only sister or all the sisters have called, and then the only sister that's an actual actress shows up, and she's like, "Hey, I'm gonna bring someone," and he's like, "You know, don't do that. You know, I might not even come." She's like, "Oh, well, if you don't come, I'm not even gonna. You know, then it doesn't matter if you don't come. I can bring her no matter what." And you're just like, "Oh, God." Hey. The other thing too, the one that really got me is he's like, oh, I can't chat right now. She's like, chat, huh? Huh? All right. Why don't you go back to chat to your customers, you big fucking asshole. I was like, what is wrong with you people? 
Uh, no, but so when he does arrive to the party, my my other favorite joke is when he walks in and he hears them talking shit about them, calling him like gay boy and stuff. Yeah. And uh, then he just walks right back out. And then he's like, all right, is this a good time to walk in? And they're still talking shit about him. He's like, just trying to find a break in their shit talking <laughs> about him just to be like, all right, this is a good time to walk in, you know? And then I love when he smashes the windows just out of nowhere. <laughs> well, it's a setup too. It's a brilliant setup because they also talk about how when he was little, he had anger issues and he smashed a window with a, with a hammer and he's like very nonchalant. He's like, I don't, I don't remember that. That's, yeah. uh, and that appears a few times, like when Lena confronts him about, um, Oh, what was it? It was, it wasn't her confronting him about anything. But his sister in front of her mentioned like. Um, she mentioned the hammer thing. Oh, was it the hammer thing? And he was just very like, yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't quite, I don't quite remember that. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the most heartbreaking scene, I think, is when he's confiding in. The dentist. His, his sister's husband, his brother-in-law. Yeah. And yeah, he's like, I need. I need basically a referral from another doctor for a psychologist because I've but always. I, been... I like the way it starts out though, because he's like, you know, you're a doctor and there's confidentiality. It's just like, I cry all the time. I really don't like myself. And he's like, I'm a dentist. I don't know what I can do for you. Like, is pretty, like, that's like a classical, like, Sandler funny joke. You know what I mean? Like, it's in a PTA movie, it's a little unexpected, but I guess with Sandler in there, you should expect it. Yeah, there's some in there though, right? Because like, it's very weird watching him do this. Because if if this was like a Sandler film, this would almost be like Billy Madison level, right? And but it's not. It's taken extremely seriously. And then you have these like kind of funny jokes that I feel like actually work because the whole rest of the movie is grounded in this like really kind of dark reality set um okay so he confides in him telling him about his mental issues and of course he's gonna sell him out oh my god and that's the heartbreaking scene is when they're like yeah so uh apparently you cry a lot and um you hate yourself and you want to shrink why do you want to shrink barry he's like i don't you're he's a liar (laughs) (laughs) he accuses so many people of lying um and then right after this, Bernie goes to the store and is looking at all the healthy choice stuff, which as this was happening, I was like, this can't be, this is like implausible that a company would screw something up so badly to allow someone to get so many free miles. And it is a true story. The guy, a true spent story? About, the guy spent about three grand and got like 1.25 million in flyer miles from it. So, um, after this movie, I activated my JetBlue card because I travel a lot for work, right? And um, it goes, if you activate this card, that's like an annual fee of $99 a year, you get 70,000 miles. So I activated and everything like that. And I look at my JetBlue account and my mileage didn't go up. My points. I was like, okay, maybe I need to read like the fine print somewhere. And they're like, okay, so in the first three months of you activating it, you need to pay that $99 fee and you need to spend a thousand dollars. 
And I was like, all right, cool, easy. So, so I do that like right away. <laughs> and um, you had three months. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, 70,000 miles, like airline miles goes a long way. I can't even imagine 1.2 million. Like he says, you'll never have to fly again or you'll never have to pay for a flight again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, was it the same thing? The true story with the, with the pudding and the barcodes? It was healthy choice, I think. Yeah, so I think it was the exact, I mean, pretty much the same you know, idea. Um, it's just crazy that a company would fuck something up that poorly. I just, <laughs> and it just makes the, the opening line so much funnier. You do realize this is more valuable than the products you're selling. <laughs> um and i'm also well okay yes it is surprising that a big company would screw up that big isn't it more surprising that only one person would have caught it i guess but i mean there's so many things like that that things you could enter that just people like oh you can't win that and they just don't enter it you know what i mean yeah but this sounded like a guarantee thing like you know those box tops you have to cut out of cereal when you're like in middle school it, feel, it feels like one of those like pointless endeavors, but like maybe it is worth, worth something in the end. Well, there's the guy that cut out a bunch of Pepsi things and like wanted a fighter jet because in the commercial, Pepsi said you get a fighter jet. And then he sued them because they wouldn't give him a fighter jet. And I think they just ended up paying him a, a shit ton of money. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I also do like at the dinner when she asks about the pudding, he's like, please don't, don't ask me about the pudding. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was a secret. It's like, well, just, just don't tell my sisters about it. And he's like, I found a scheme and I just, I, I want to exploit it before they find out. I just, I'm, you know, I'm just taking advantage of it. He's like, so like sincere about this. And then there's just the running gag of the fact that he's never flown in his entire life. But so for some reason, he, like these points are so important to him, even though he doesn't even intend to fly. Uh, um, no, I mean, even more so than that is that, when he does decide to finally redeem it, it has to take almost a month and a half for him to do it. He's like, I plan this out in my head. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait six to eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that part. Uh, Alon, I think this is the part where I give you some advice. Um, if you call a phone sex line, do not give them your social security number. They don't need that. Okay, this is where I prove my point to you. Uh, David, off the top of your head, What's your credit card number? I mean, so yeah, you're trying to say he's like some sort of like Rain savant. Man. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Okay. We can agree with that. I said, maybe it's not an agreement. It's just a maybe. I'll take it. Maybe. Also, I did the math. That's like $150 an hour for the first hour. And then 120 for after that. And also, mm, no, it's, it's very less. Clear. It's less. So she says two dollars a minute. It's two dollars a minute for the first hour, and then a no, dollar. No, no, it's no, 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 no. It's two ninety nine a minute for the first half hour, and then two one ninety nine for every minute after. Oh, that's a rip! It's a lot of money. Let me just tell you. But what I don't get is with all that money. First of all, she like very clearly it's the exact same voice when Georgia calls back. Um. She immediately, she wants him to jack off very quickly. And it's like, why, like, if he's not pushing the pace, he's yeah, getting thought, more money. Like, what's yeah, up? I thought the same thing, too. I thought the same thing. Too. And this guy just clearly wants a friend to talk to. Like, just be that friend. But then I realized 
because this is just basically a scam where they like extort people. She needs to get the next person on the line. And she's the only one running this business. So she's like, <laughs> the value of her time is being off the phone and getting another sucker, you know, not this guy. Although how many people are calling this ad? You know, I don't know. Maybe in 2002, a lot. Now she's got like cam girls. You don't have to call these numbers. Well, cam or- girls have put this entire operation out of business. And Omegle. <laughs> That's free, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's why it's worse. Um, yeah, that scene is very sad, especially because the whole time it really just seems like he wants someone to talk to. I also thought he gives her the social and she's like, okay, I'll call back. He's like, oh, I really just want you to connect me to someone right now. She's like, that's not how it works. We're going to call you back. And he's like, okay. And then there's no cut. We just sit there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, she, he's not even going to get to talk to someone, which would make him at least like less sad. They just stole his information, but luckily, at least, luckily, I guess he gets a call. Um, and then at the very end of the call, when she finally gets him to start jerking off, she calls him Barry yeah. after he specifically said, don't tell the girl my name. I want to be called Jack. Yeah. Um, which I guess confirms to the audience, like, okay, this is the same woman or this is some sort of scam. I, I did not catch that actually. Well, the other thing too is she, you know, she asks, are you married? And he's like, no. And he's like, do you have a girlfriend? And in order to seem not lame, he's like, yeah, I have a girlfriend. She's not here. But that's also just for the extortion part. They're trying to find, you know, she wants information to, you know, it makes it easier to extort him. if She's like, I'll fuck your marriage up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I got, I got that part. I didn't, I didn't catch that he, she calls him Barry in the end. Um, okay, so the next morning she calls him back. Yeah, what'd you think of that when that was happening? I was like, oh, this is weird. As I was, I was like, does he have a stalker? And then when she's like, listen, I have a question. I was like, oh, all right, here we go. Yeah, um, I actually thought no, but then that wouldn't have made sense. Well, I, I'll get to, uh, I, I'll get to something I noticed that was never again brought up in the movie but once i tell you this you're gonna be wondering that that's weird but we're not there yet um okay so she is obviously extorting him um somehow she got his number for his work and i guess she just backtracked his name and looked up the company he started yeah i know i mean this was in 2002 i don't know i don't remember how easy that would have been well, that you know what even leaves me weird is towards the end of the movie. How does he know about the D and D mattress store? Because when she, when he's like asking about confidentiality and he makes it up, that he keeps bringing it up. She's like, "Listen, I need your social. Uh, this will just appear on your phone bill as D and D mattress man." Oh, and that's how he knows. That's how he knows. I didn't even fucking think of that. I thought it was just like you know, if you ever buy like a porno from pay per view, they just they just say it's like something else <laughs> i had a friend who bought like a girls gone wild video and it was like oh this will come in like a very nonchalant package and then no it just says girls gone wild all over it <laughs> he had to like he had to like check the mail like every day he had to be the one to check the mail to make sure he got it <laughs> oh. great what, a, what an idiot um and so an then amazing story i love that he i love too that he's just like He's too poor to be extorted. It's like not even a question. He says, I can't afford, you can tell whoever you want. I just literally cannot afford to give you money. Like, I know I own my own business, but like, yeah, I'm sorry. There's nothing here. (laughs) We're barely breaking even. (laughs) So then he goes to work. And once again, like, 
the music is just fucking kicking all these sounds and you have Lance asking about the pudding, the sister showing up with this girl and then the fucking extortionist won't stop calling him. And like, and then before this, he like cancels his credit card. He's like, I'm just really worried about that. Someone may have charged something for the, I lost it. And then I found it again. I'm just, you know, and she's like, and then like, okay, I'm cutting up the card. Um, I'm cutting it up right now. I won't use it again. I'll get a new one. Uh, one of my favorite parts of that scene is when the sex line girl calls him uh, like towards the end of that scene and Lena's like right there and he's like, okay, cool. Okay. Bye-bye. And just hangs up like really nonchalant. And she's being like, you motherfucker, you will pay for this. You and your family, I will fucking kill you. He's like, okay, have a nice day. Yeah. And then I love too like <laughs> the part where he's like, Oh, hey, we got to talk to that guy in Toledo. And Lance's like, what? What guy in Toledo? And then <laughs> as he's still trying to impress this girl, Lance comes in. He's like, seriously, what, what guy in Toledo are you talking about? He's like, I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. Uh, maybe you can explain to me what he was trying to do with taking apart the harmonium piano. I think he was trying to fix it. He was like adding tape to like the harmonica part of it. The, or oh, was, the... that, was that it? Because I, I thought he was trying to like hide something up in it the table. no no i think he was just trying to fix it i think there were oh. holes in it the the cab that dropped it off did not give the most care to it so um and then the sister's yelling at him and she's like for I, she seems concerned for him like oh i heard you're crying and what's going on and why are you acting weird but then she's trying to set him up with this girl but also talking like very loudly in front of the girl like oh you know you cry all the time and you need to shrink it let's talk about what's up with this pudding you know like not being a very good sister at all. So let me ask you about this girl. Let me ask you about Lena. What's up with her? Because obviously she, she went to the car dealership an hour early just to meet with him. She sets this up. Her sister sets her up. She follows him in the grocery store. She knows he has all these issues. Yet she still is very adamant about going out with him. What's what's the attraction there? Love is a fickle thing, Alon. I don't know. Okay, so you want to hear my theory? Okay. Do you remember when they went to the restaurant uh, for the date? Yeah. Um, and I, I let's let, let's quickly talk about the restaurant. So uh, he gets overtly angry and and tears up the entire bathroom, and then they get kicked out of the restaurant. I love the scene too. He's like, he's like, listen, I can't prove that you did this, but you need to leave. And he's like, okay, please let me stay. No, you have to leave. But please, can I just stay? I'm going to call the police. But can I just stay? I'm going to hit your fucking head in if you don't leave right now. He's like, okay, we, we have to leave. Yeah. So they're walking out of the restaurant and they were like walking down the street, right? Right. Did you notice there was a truck in the background of that entire scene? Right. Do you see what type of truck it was? No. Okay. It was like a, it was like a charter truck, like um, like a transportation truck from like air to ground sort of transport. I think the name of it was like air travel or something like that. Okay. And the big logo was like a star, and it's following them through the entire scene. Like it's slowly crawling 
and following them through the entire scene. And then when you cut to her apartment, she has boxes from that same truck company all over her house with the same logo. And I was like, is there a conspiracy against him? Because she's stalking him. This truck was stalking them. And now she has the same company logo on all the boxes in her house. I, and, and it was never brought up for the rest of the movie. You think it's like the Truman Show? I don't know what Anderson was trying to say really with doing all this or if he just was sponsored, his movie was just sponsored by this fucking truck company and we weren't supposed to notice all this, but it does sound like she's in on something bigger, right? Because that would explain her stalking things, the truck, I don't know. Or he like, they rented the truck and like some boxes came with it. And so they like used the boxes in the... But it's the scene immediately after. It's just, it's just kind of crazy coincidence. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't notice it at all. Um, I thought at first maybe the receptionist for the sex line was Lena. But then I was like, the odds are one in a million of him calling that specific sex line, you know? Yeah, I don't think that's it. Um, Real quick, we already talked about when she comes back in, Lena, to like ask him out. And uh, he like then lies to her about everything. And I'm like, oh, man, don't lie. Like, he's like, oh, I don't cry. Um, I just like the suit and like that pudding, you know, don't worry about the pudding. Um, (laughs) And then Georgia calls back and she's like, this fucking war, you're dead. Uh, And then we get to meet Georgia and um, I'll always take Philip Seymour Hoffman in a movie. And I love this scene. I especially love, he's like, I can only pay two of you guys. (laughs) And then he's like, oh, and no expenses. And they're like, what? But she said expenses. She didn't know what the fuck she was talking about. If you really think about it, like fair deal and all, come on, this is business. Can't pay your expenses. And I was then doing the math. They shook him down for $500, but he had to pay $200. Like, and then these guys' expenses, like, people aren't making money off of this. Like, and they were only going to shake him down this one time. Yeah. Were they? Because then they were like, hit him at his house first. I was like, is he get, are they going to hit him at his business second? Well, but they, he said two days, right? So they, they go to his house, and then the next day he flies out to Hawaii. So it's like they weren't staying down there. They also had to go look at that car that Philip Seymour Hoffman wanted them to look at. So like, you know, that was a, that's a full day. Um, so yeah, I think, I think if he doesn't call back from Hawaii that they're pretty much done with him. Um, you know, this is a scheme that they have to move on. So you think, they're like, done. You, think you think that, I mean, they, yeah, I think so. No, no, no. But you think that, but it's okay. I mean, so, um, yeah, he gets shaken out. I thought because he remembers his credit card number and everything like that, when they made a point for him to be beaten down in front of the license plate, I thought he was going to rem- memorize the license plate number. And I thought that something was going to come out of that. But he just gets that they're from fucking Utah. Yeah. Uh, one thing you didn't mention too is um, after they leave the restaurant, there's like really like romantic music playing. Like the, the use of music is like very in your face in this movie. But then she asks him as they're driving to her apartment, she asks him about the harmonium, which we learn what that is called. I didn't know what it was fucking called. I th- I, I'm still going to just say little tiny piano. And she's like, did you take it? He's like, no, I didn't take it. And she's like, well, it's yours. And he's like, 
he's like, why is it mine? He's like, because you grabbed it. You know what I mean? But like that it's, I think there is like a, obviously a character arc, but one of the ways that the character arc is shown is like his, like he is such a liar, like pathologically in the beginning and not really bad, just like in order to try and save himself. Right. In order to like keep his sanity from these women that he has to deal with. And then he, she opens yeah. him up. He He's built this defense mechanism against his sisters and ultimately against society because of his sisters. But yeah, you're right. He She makes him feel like it's okay to be flawed. Like that's fine. And I do think this also is a very like well done romantic movie, especially when like he, he leaves and shakes her hand and like kind of gives her a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> I love when he's like, all right, bye-bye now. <laughs> and as he's walking away, he's like, Bye bye now, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> but then she calls down to the front desk, and there's like this moment of pause before he says his name because he fucking thinks it's Georgia because somehow they got him at work. So it was like, I, get him can anywhere. I tell you something, David? I thought it was Georgia. <laughs> I was like, it can't be Georgia. And then she's like, just to let you know, I really wanted to kiss you. <laughs> I love the scene of him trying to find the apartment again. <laughs> so it goes on too long. But perfectly too long. It's yeah, it's great. great. Yeah, it's great. It's it's a it's another like Adam Sandler scene, but it works out so well. Um, well after the kiss, he well after the kiss, he also says like, you know, I don't freak out all the time like my sisters say, but it is sort of like, it's like a denial, but also an admission. He's like, I'm a, I freak out sometimes, but not as much as my sisters make it seem like. You know what I mean? It's like a it's started the turn. No, it's good. Um, I also like how it's just a kiss and they end the night. They don't really spend the night together. They're very chaste. Yeah, exactly. And then the four brothers show up, who are actually apparently four brothers. And <laughs> they make him pull out 500. And he's like, that'll teach you pervert for, you know, telling someone you're going to do something and not doing it. And he's like, okay, that's fine. But just let you know, I never told her that. This is a lot of money to me. Um, and so, and then... Wait, the, what, was, what were they talking about doing something and never doing it? Promising you were going to give her rent money and then not giving it to her. He never promised that. I know, that's what I'm saying. This also, this scene reminds me so much of the scene in um, Boogie Nights where the guy pays Dirk to jerk off in front of him and then beats the shit out of him for being gay. And here <laughs> dudes are beating him up for being a pervert for calling a sex line when they're like, they're working for the sex line. Did you, um, well, that's kind of the end where Philip Seymour Hoffman calls him a pervert, but he's the head of the sex line. Doesn't make any sense. Um, did you feel like the four brothers, did you feel like Georgia was related to them somehow? Probably, but also probably like sleeping with them. They all looked very like inbred, inbred hillbillies. I mean, they were from Utah. <laughs> um, I also penned Georgia as a brunette. So I was very surprised that she was a blonde. Hmm. Maybe not, not, probably not natural blonde. I also love the, the running scene is so crazy and frantic and it's like almost like a horror movie. And then once he like dives into the street for no reason. And then as he's running, the brothers pull up and they're like, why the fuck are you running? Like, we know where you live. <laughs> what are you doing? And they were done with him. Like, they didn't need to run away like that. Yeah, they were done. It like, like I said, they. I don't think they were coming back to him for more money. I thought. I think they're. This was over. Um, and then the next day, 
he tell he's like about to tell Lance like, "Hey, I've been extorted," but then instead he's like, "I'm going to Hawaii. I need more fucking pudding." And I, my favorite line is, "I have to get more pudding for my trip to Hawaii." As I said that, I realized how crazy that sounds. <laughs> Uh, and then it's the scene of him and Lance going throughout, like, I take it more than just one store, but going through a series of stores and buying up all the chocolate pudding in, in like, the tri-state area. And then the, him dancing in the store for no reason. Pretty great. But there's a reason. <laughs> the reason is he just, he just got a million and a half flight mire, miles. Yeah. Um, but then the call afterwards is so funny, too. Six to eight weeks, he's like... There's nothing in this that says this. I've made plans. <laughs> well, sir, it's, uh, it's how long it takes to redeem them. And then he's just like, fuck it. I'm going anyway. Lance, don't tell my sisters. And also for no reason, just a like a, um, a gag of the chair falling and like the chair breaking and Lance falling in it. I remember that. As he decides, like, I'm just going to go anyway, he walks up to the desk, which is the one he was sitting at in the beginning of the movie, and the chair just breaks, and Lance falls. <laughs> he's like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, chair broke. He's like, okay, well, I'm leaving Hawaii. Don't tell my sisters. I remember the don't tell my sisters. He's very adamant about not his sisters not knowing anything, which, again, I'm totally with him on that. Um, okay, so he's in Hawaii, and he has no way to find Lena, which I also think he's like, he did not think this through at all. Um, it's another kind of lie, right? Because he tells Lena, oh, I'm going to go to Hawaii later in the month because of, the, because of work, because of business. Um, which I guess is in like kind of a sweet reveal where he then admits to her, like, I'm not here because of work. I'm here just because of you. And then she seems to kind of swoon over that. But he makes the phone call to his sister to ask for Lena's contact in the middle of what seems like a Hawaiian parade. Right. And he's he's trying to make it so that he's not. Um, he's. I'm just at the office. I'm just at the office. I'm definitely not in Hawaii. I, I love how angry he gets in this moment too. Why are you doing this to me? Why can't you just give me the fucking number? Why do you always fucking do this to me? I'm gonna fucking kill you. I <laughs> should give him the number. Yeah, I was expecting. Uh, maybe she realized like he would fly back there and actually murder her. <laughs> um and then he calls and for some reason that just a dude answers just and then like he calls again because they gave him the wrong room and you know she answers he's like do you have a boyfriend or, when's the last time you yeah had a he wants to third degree interrogate her uh like right then and there and she's like what why don't we just meet in person he's like okay but wh- how long ago we married <laughs> like won't <laughs> hang up like needs to ask more phone ask more questions and then she, he goes in for the handshake and she just like fucking makes out with him right there. Oh, it's the, uh, it's the airport scene or not the airport scene, but like wherever they're meeting up scene. It's like a hotel or something. Yeah. And it's like a great, like back they're backlit. It's silhouetted while all the people are like passing them. I think it's the one that they use for like the, the, the DVD cover, the promo. Yeah. It, that, that I think is when the movie becomes a lot more tolerable for me the beginning is rough for me dude because it's like car crash and the tiny piano and the music and he's so fucking awkward and the dude here's the thing what i don't get about you man is that you cringe at that swingers scene you tell me that 
The fucking Rushmore is pretty close to cringe. How did you not think this whole movie, you were just like constantly not cringing? I didn't think Rushmore was. I said it was a perfect balance of comedy and a little cringe. Um, and this? I think it wasn't because you could just tell the whole time that she was just, she was with it. She was into it. But not, not, not say just her scene, like the sister scene. Oh my God. The They're sisters. bitches. I don't care about them. Uh, Fuck them assholes. Him, the music alone gave me such high anxiety that I was just like, fuck. Uh, yeah, once they get to Hawaii, which I, you know, I love Hawaiian movies, but this doesn't use Hawaii to its fullest. This is um, even Hawaii. You know, this is this 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 looks like Hawaii, <laughs> which is a yeah, great and, line. <laughs> and luckily, she brings him back to her hotel because where the hell was he staying? He doesn't really admit he doesn't have a hotel until like the next day when he's like, "Oh, I just came here for you," and he's not rich, and hotels in Hawaii are not cheap. So like. Yeah, that was a bold move. <laughs> um, and and they're sitting down for dinner, and he looks out and he's like, "This kind of looks like Hawaii." <laughs> I don't know why it's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie because it's fucking Hawaii. But yeah, it's good. And then the next morning, you get like, if it wasn't if it wasn't clear to you that Lena is maybe just as weird as him, he's like, she's like, oh, I want to bite your cheek and chew on it. He's like, I want to fucking smash your face. You're like, oh my god! And then she just, without missing a beat, I want to scoop out your eyes. You're like, okay, you guys are, you guys are great for each other. This will work out well. I love the phone call in the morning. His sisters, just, it's just like, did, did Barry call you? Uh, he's so fucking weird. I'm so sorry. He's so fucking weird. She's and, like, yeah, he's a little yeah, weird. A little weird. No, She's like, don't talk, don't talk about him like that. I can talk about him like that. How dare you? She's like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, but I thought that was really sweet. Like she, she knows, she knows, right? So she's just going to be like, your sister, I'm not going to tell your sister. Yeah. Well, and this is when he admits like, oh, I came here for you. And like before that, he's like, I destroyed the bathroom. Sorry about that. Not he pooped. I'm saying he destroyed the bathroom on their first dinner date. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then right after he has sex with her, clearly he's got some, you know, some juju going. And he's like, I'm going to call Georgia back and leave a message. Okay. Talk about the dumbest fucking move. They're done. He's done. They're done with him. She's done with him. And he has to bring this whole shit back up again. Let me tell you, though. Super glad he did. Right, right before my favorite scene, they're in the airport, and she's like, hey, can I come home with you? And he's like, I thought you were anyway. And I was like, that's so sweet. And then they're about to pull in, and the only other time you've seen this garage, he got jumped, and they're about to pull in it, and they get hit by the car. And my one or second favorite scene of this movie is when he just beats the shit out of these four guys, like turns into John Wick, and just wham. Oh, man. It was so, so satisfying. I was so confused because I was so 100% that this was a dream sequence. This, this was like a fantasy sequence. And I was just waiting for that shot back into the car, like back into reality. And it never came. And I was so surprised. And I was like, that actually happened. But it, I think it makes sense because he is prone to violence, right? And when... 
in the beginning when he's with his sisters, he's, he's violent when in an uncontrollable way, when they continue to make fun of him and they just won't relent. But now as part of his character development, he's able to hone in this superpower of just beating the shit out of these four Utah dudes. And yeah. I love that he smashes out the windows and he's like, doesn't even beat the last guy. Just hands him back the, the, was it the crowbar, the crowbar. Yeah. Just hands it back to him. Like, I'm done with you. I don't need to, I don't need to hit you. He probably killed one of those guys. Like, Hey, I don't think in movie world he did, but if you just hit a dude across the face with a crowbar, like you could kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Good. They deserve it. Um, so rushes Lena to the hospital because she has, she bumped her head during the car crash. And then in a more confusing scene, maybe you can clear this up for me. He leaves the hospital. Yeah. The hospital. Right. But he, he makes a phone call. He goes back to his warehouse and he calls Georgia and he's like, I want to talk to your supervisor. <laughs> he's like, I know you're Georgia. I want to fucking talk to a supervisor right now. And then we get Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and another top scene, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman and Adam Sandler together, are two of my favorite scenes, um, but just calm down, shut the fuck up. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, shut up, shut up, shut, shut up. the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shut, 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 shut. And Adam Sandler's not saying a word. And he's just like, shut up, shut the fuck up. Adam Sandler's like, go fuck yourself. He's like, did you just say go fuck myself? That wasn't good. Yeah, that's, man, I forgot how good that scene was. It's like why you need... Philip Seymour Hoffman in this. And what's crazy is uh, that role was offered to Sean Penn and he had to turn it down. For Mystic River. No, I don't know why. <laughs> for why? Well, Mystic River was 03. I don't know what he turned it down for, but it's not important. But this is clearly the best thing that could have happened because Philip Seymour Hoffman, as you know, is like, I think the best actor. And that was so fucking amazing. So then we go back to Lena and she finds out that Barry left the hospital. And so she leaves um, and Barry just runs from the warehouse to the hospital, just holding the phone. And then he finds out that she left. And so he, then he calls just what, 411 in Utah to ask for where the D&D mattress man is. Yeah. And I assume he just walked the entire way to Utah. <laughs> like he, I guess he drove. Um, Still holding the phone. Yep. Um, and I love, I fucking love this last scene. I love the way the camera is focusing in on the haircut and then the haircut stops and both Georgia and Philip Seymour Hoffman just look over and it's like five to 10 seconds of us not knowing what's going on, but knowing exactly what's going on. And then the camera moves over and we just see like Adam Sandler almost in like silhouette, just standing there. Yeah. And his first thing, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's first line is, fuck you, you pervert. And he's like, don't, don't call me a pervert. Don't call me a pervert. I, uh, I literally had to go into my settings and turn on closed captions to fucking understood what they said to each other. And I just love, he's like, just, you know what? I've got the love of a woman. So just tell me that's that before I beat the hell out of you. 
I have so much strength. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, oh, it's, he said, I'm going to beat the hell from you, which is a way of saying that, that I've never heard, but also immediately love. It's pretty good. Um, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman's just like, did you call the cops? Okay. All right. That's that. And you think it's over. And then he walks out. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, this is the funniest thing in the movie to me. Get the fuck out, you pervert. And he's like, I, I warned you. And he's like, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it's so fucking good. So fucking good. I mean, okay, take Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and over like P.T. Anderson's um, filmography. Compare him to Boogie Nights. Compare him to The Master. He plays such... He's such a diverse actor. Well, I mean, his career started out, at least from my knowledge of it, of what I saw him in. You know, the first thing I saw him in was Twister. Mm-hmm. And then he's like in, I don't know, remember when this was, but you know, he's in like Along Came Polly. And I think he's the asshole in Patch Adams, right? So he's playing like these very kind of like some smaller parts, very funny parts. And then like people are starting to realize, oh no, this guy's really fucking good. And it's the same in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, right? In Boogie Nights, he's this very like comedic character. In his first one that you haven't seen, Heart Eight, he's got like just a small cameo part that's like really funny, but like he like steals the scene. It's like super small. But then he's like building up. And then this part right here is like kind of comedic, but like just super good. Yeah. And then the next time he works with him, which is fucking 10 years later, but the next time he works with him is the master. Which is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Probably one of his, like one of my favorite roles of his. It's also uh, funny that Paul Thomas Anderson made this in 2002, Punch Drunk Love, and then There Will Be Blood in 2007, five years later, and then the master five years later, like just didn't make movies in between then. What a fucking staple is to go from this to there will be blood to the master. Honestly, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. And I think while he was alive, besides there will be blood, Philip Seymour Hoffman was in every one of his movies. And like, they're better for it, obviously. So sad that he died. The last scene, which I really like, because he goes back to Lena apologizing that he left her at the hospital. And I was very... Dick move. I was very very worried she was going to be like no i was like i need you guys to stay together i need to believe in love and i need lena and barry to stay together you're married (laughs) sometimes man you just need pick-me-ups you know um i I was really happy that's me i especially love like she's like you left me at the hospital you can't do that he's like i understand but if you just give me these six to eight weeks with this pudding like everything will be all right i just need six to eight weeks and my pudding futures will come in and we'll just be set. And I can just, it is a very sweet line of like, you know, I'll just, I'll be able to travel you travel with you wherever you go. Cause I just don't want to spend a minute apart from you. I was like, that's like stalkerish, but also just like very sweet in the scenario. Cause she reciprocates and yeah. it's a good, good solid ending to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that why that guy did it in real life? So he could follow the love of his life wherever she went. I think he just saw he saw a scheme and he's like, I can take advantage of this. Is it a scheme if it's perfectly legal? Well, I mean, connotation-wise, scheme, you think, you know, frauds, a scheme of fraud. And this isn't really fraud. Because no, it, no. It's, yeah. it's just following the rules, making making big airline mile money. So explain it to me. Very simply, because I think I understand, but 
the way to do that is that the pudding was in a pack of six and it was cheap, right? It was, it was in a pack of four. The packs were 99 cents a piece, so just basically a dollar. So then 25 cents gets you a barcode because each barcode was on each pudding. Not each pack of four puddings, but each pudding had its own barcode. So Wait, what was the dollar? The pack of four or each individual pudding cup was a dollar? The pack of four was a dollar. So each pudding cup was, like you said, 25 cents. So for $2.50, he got 500 airline miles. But when he had that fucking coupon or whatever that you could get, it was 1000 I don't know how much the coupon cost. But basically, for every $2.50, for every $2.50 you could get 1000 airline miles. Now, if you ran out of pudding, you had to buy some of the higher-priced items, like there was $1.79 for that Healthy Choice meal. Um, but really the pudding is which the pudding is where it's at. So I'm looking at this to divide that. Hold on. Divide 1.2 million by what? $2 and 50 cents or no, a thousand, a thousand. You got to divide $3,000 by $2 and 50 cents. Why? Cause that's, then that's 1200. Yes. And then 1200 times. A thousand, because every time you spend two fifty, so it's be one point two million. For three thousand dollars worth of pudding, you get one point two million. Holy shit! This doesn't exist anymore, Alon. You shouldn't be that impressed by it. <laughs> it's crazy though. It's nuts. You're just gonna be looking for schemes. You're gonna spend the next like three days. Like, how can I? How can I make some sweet, some sweet scheme money? You're going to see, uh, you see me cutting a lot of box tops off of cereal boxes. I get posters if I cut these off. <laughs> so look, admittedly, I did not like this movie. Like, okay, like I tried to explain this to you before. I like this movie. I can see the quality of film this is. And it was some pretty stellar parts, got better as it went along. But I did not enjoy myself watching this movie because of the anxiety it gave me in the first like hour. It's funny is I had no anxiety watching this. And this is a movie that is very good on rewatch too, because like, I don't know. It was just, I watched it a second time. It was highly entertaining. And this may have my favorite ending to a movie, like in a long, long time, just like the most satisfying, especially like with the expectations, not, it's not, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So I wasn't like, Oh, this is going to suck. But I was like, it's, might not be my favorite because it's also not one that gets mentioned a lot, but my goodness, I, I loved, I love the movie, especially the ending. I will say the ending's great, but it is weirdly paced because 20 minutes before the film ends, they get hit by the car and you think it's the climax. And then it's not really the climax until he goes to Utah at the D and D magic store. <laughs> well, the climax happened in Hawaii. They had sex. Well, listen, thanks for uh, listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And I'm David. And we finally watched... Punch Drunk Love.